We are talking specifically tonight about no more standing on the sidelines. It's time to get off the sidelines. It's time to get into the game. My son recently started playing competitive basketball for the homeschool organization here in Memphis. And when we started in May and he went out to try out for the team, the two coaches who are two pastors at other churches here in Memphis, they pulled me to the side. They said, hey, we know you're over at Bellevue and we love, we love your family, but just to be quite honest with you, your son's not very good, okay? Now, if I want him to know that, I'll tell him, okay? And so they said, he's really going to have to work hard. We're going to have an A and a B team, just plan on him being on the B team and working really hard to get better. Well, he just started working out, and we started working out together in the mornings. I know I don't look like it. He looks a whole lot better. But we've been working out three or five mornings a week, and he made the A team, and then they came to me the week before his first game and said, hey, he's going to start. And you know what he did? He was sick and tired of being on the sidelines this summer. And he said, I'm ready to get in the game. And he did what it took to get in the game. And so the last, this last weekend, we went to a tournament in St. Louis. He started all three games and played great. So proud of him. I tell you that to say it's time for us to get off the sidelines. Too many men, and by the way, I'm going to raise my hand on this. Too many of us have stood on the sidelines at some point in our life or we're on the sidelines right now and it's time to get in the game. And we're going to talk specifically tonight in a few different areas looking at Abraham when God called him to sacrifice Isaac about how it would have been very easy for Abraham to say, yeah, no thank you, I'm not, I don't want to be a part of that. But he was in the game and he was doing what God called him to do. So what I want us to do to start out is I want us to have a discussion question around the table. And uh, here's the question. What are some reasons men become content on the sidelines of life? What are some reasons that men become content? I'm going to give you a few examples of where some of us will stay on the sidelines. In the way we lead with integrity in the workplace. In the way we lead our wives spiritually. In the way we lead our children in the ways of the Lord. Those are just three quick areas just right off the top of my head. But, but, but what is it, what are some reasons that men become content on the sidelines of life? Take three or four minutes, talk about it, and then we'll come back together. All right, guys. <clears throat> I don't know what reasons that you talked about around the table, but uh, I know for me, um, I could make a list pretty quick. And I think what happens is we don't set out to sit on the sidelines, but just over a period of time, we kind of drift over there. And then we just become apathetic. And then passivity sets in, and next thing we know, we're just sitting on the sidelines, and a lot of times, we're just enjoying life. But I think God's called us to so much more than that. You know, I think about Abraham in the story of Abraham and Isaac. I'm fascinated by this story. Um, I actually preached a, a message that I'm going to use some of the stuff from this evening <clears throat> a couple of years ago. But I'm fascinated by the story because it's so interesting to me that God would actually have called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, knowing the history of Abraham and Sarah not being able to get pregnant. And so God finally has blessed them with a son, and oh, by the way, now I want you to sacrifice your son. I can't fathom that. I've got four kids. I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I, I try to protect them at all costs. I know that's part of my job as a father, but I can't even comprehend the thought of losing one of them, but especially if God called me to sacrifice one of them. I can't really imagine what it would have been going through Abraham's mind. I can't really imagine what, what kind of thoughts he would have had. 
if I would have been Abraham, I can guarantee you I would have been similar to Gideon when Gideon kept laying the fleece out and said, okay, if you really want me to do this, make the ground wet and leave the fleece dry. And when I woke up the next morning, it would have been that way. I'd have done what Gideon did again. I said, okay, big boy, I, I think I got it, but let's make sure. Next, tomorrow, will you make the fleece wet and leave the ground dry? And then after I woke up the next day and it was like that, I, then I say, okay, God, I guess, I guess you're really serious about this. But I mean, Abraham, as we'll see in just a moment, he, he follows through with what God has called him to do. And we know that God stops him from doing that. But I want to read some of this to you. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. And I just want to ask a few questions. I want to ask a few questions as we walk through this. So here's what it says in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. How, how many of you know that we get tested sometimes? Now, you may never have gone through a test, but I've been through some whoppers, okay? Sometimes God tests us. It says, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Abraham said to God, here I am. Here's the first thing, and I want to ask it in the regards of a question. I want to ask you, does the Lord have first place with your schedule? Notice what Abraham says. Abraham does not say, now Lord, are you sure you're talking to me? Remember, I couldn't have any children, and you finally blessed me with Isaac, and now you want to take Isaac away from me. Uh, notice he didn't say, you know, God, hey, I, I, are you sure you're talking? God, I'm really busy right now. Immediate, his immediate response to God is, here I am. You know, one of our, our, our pieces of the vision frame here at Bellevue is that I will obey God instantly. All right? Now, I don't know about you, but oftentimes it takes me a little while to follow through with what God's calling me to do. And sometimes it's because I'm skeptical. Sometimes it's because I'm lazy. Sometimes, just to be quite frank with you, it's because I'm selfish. And sometimes I just say, you know, God, I just don't know if I want to do that. And it takes me some time. Abraham responds to God. And by the way, Abraham doesn't even know what God's going to say to him yet. Abraham has approached God with an open schedule. And he says, here I am. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 5 Verse 15 says, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. How many of y'all know we waste a lot of time? How many of you know that we, we spend a lot of time doing what we want to do? I hear people say all the time, I don't have time to do that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You've got time to do whatever you want to. You'll figure it out. If you have to shave an hour off your sleep on both sides, that gives you two more hours. You can figure out how to do it. If you've got to cut the TV back from two hours to one hour at night, you have the time. Because, by the way, if you've got time to watch more than one football game on a Saturday, you've got all the time in the world, brother. Okay? i got four kids running around. I ain't seen more than 15 minutes of football all year. Okay? I'm serious. We're just all over the place. So if, if we're doing those things, we've got to realize he says... Make the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I want to ask you, does the Lord have first place with your schedule? Now notice what it says right here in verse 2. It says, he said, now this is God speaking to Abraham, take now your son, your only son. Now I love that. He reminds Abraham, this is your only son with your wife Sarah, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. The Lord doesn't pull any punches here. He doesn't beat around the bush. The Lord just tells him, here's exactly what I want you to do. And what he, exactly what he wants him to do is something that I don't think any of us would appreciate anybody telling us what to do. I mean, if I've ever pushed back on the Lord, I think I would have really pushed back right here. 
I would have asked a lot of questions. Abraham's right here. He's listening to the Lord. I want to ask you a second question. Does the Lord have first place with your family? Does he have first place with your family? You see, I believe that here's what happened. When God created Adam, God placed Adam in the garden, and it tells us in chapter 2 that God had really three things for Adam. Number one, he had a will for him to obey. God had a plan for Adam. Number two, he had a work for him to do. He told him to tend the garden, to take care of it. Now, I don't know what that means because he wasn't having to pull out the weeds and run off the insects yet because sin hadn't come into the world. So I don't really know what exactly work looked like then, but I don't think when you and I get up and say, hi, i got to go to work today, it was anything like that because when God gave him work, it was before sin. See, sometimes I think God's, we think God's just punishing me. i got to go to work. God created work as a way for us to worship him. And so he gave him a will to obey, a work to do, and then he gave him a woman to love. He gives him these three things. And so what happens here is God has given him this family. God has given Abraham this family. He he had a job. He had a plan for him. He gives him this family, and now he's all of a sudden saying, and by the way, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your only son Isaac to me. You know, in... um, Deuteronomy, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You, sh- uh, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What is he saying right here in Deuteronomy? He's saying that what you need to do as a man, you need to fall deeply in love with the Lord. You need to follow after the Lord. You need to obey his commands. You need to go after him with everything you got, and then you need to turn around and you need to teach your children how to do it. But the reality is, in our culture today, most men, and I'm not pointing any fingers rely on the church and the school to teach their children. It's not the way God designed it. I believe the church and the school should be coming behind you and reinforcing what you as a father are teaching them. And so he tells them that they're to teach their children how to do this. So here's Abraham in verse 2. Abraham is listening to the Lord, and it says that, that he says he wants him to sacrifice his son Isaac. Well, with this question of, does the Lord have first place with your family, I want to ask you, how are you leading your family closer to the Lord? Not just how are you leading yourself closer to the Lord. How are you leading your family closer to the Lord? Somebody say, I don't have children, I'm married. Great, how are you leading your wife closer to the Lord? Because it's your responsibility, it's your job, it's your calling as the pastor of your home. Brother Steve's not the pastor of your home. I'm not the pastor of your home, I'm the pastor of my home. That's the way the Bible has set it up. It says that we as men in Ephesians chapter 5, that we as men are to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and we are to submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and that our wives are supposed to come in right behind us and follow behind where we're leading them to Jesus. And then the children are to come in behind both of us as we lead them to the Lord. I want to ask you this question. When I say, does the Lord have first place with your family, are you giving everything you have to your family, or are you giving more to your workplace than your family has ever gotten? 
You know, it's interesting. They did a study and they found that most men that are workaholics don't go to work as much as that they, that, that they love it or that they really want the money. It's that they get reaffirmed there and they get a pat on the back and psychologically they don't realize it, but what they're actually seeking is to be patted on the back. And when they dove deeper psychologically, they realized that a lot of these men aren't getting that at home and since they weren't getting the recognition from their wife or children that they thought they deserved and they were getting it at their workplace, they were spending more time at work and they were having more excuses to go to work. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. We're called to work, but we're called to go home and love our families with everything we've got. We are called to lead our children and our wives close to Jesus. It's our responsibility. It's our calling to shepherd them. God has called us. So does the Lord have first place with your family? Now, I want to throw it back to the table for a moment, and um, I want to ask this question. What are some ways you are currently disengaged with your wife or children where you need to get back in the game? I'm going to give you an example, okay? My wife and I at night, right, uh, basically we put the kids to bed. Uh, we, got, you know, we got a bunch of kids. We got 47 loads of laundry. There's 8,000 things that have to be washed in the dishwasher and dried and put away. And by the time we get ready to go to bed, I'm exhausted, and we've got a devotional book that we've been reading together, and it follows along with the one-year Bible. So we read our one-year Bible separately in the mornings, and we pray, and we look at God's Word, and, and, and we seek the Lord privately, but then we come together at night, and we're reading through this devotional book together, and it's, it's following along with the plan, and then we pray together at night. And my wife and I have been consistently doing that, and I'm not telling you for all 14 years of our marriage we've done that. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that, because there was a long time... I didn't do that. I was not leading her that way. But we have been doing that the last couple of years, and it has been such a blessing. And I'll be honest with you, it's one of the things that's really kept me going, is that time with my wife in the Word, talking about what God's doing in my own life and her own life, and us walking towards Christ together. What I've not been doing a good job of is with my children. Now, we're talking about the Lord at dinner table. We're talking about the Lord along the way. But I have not been taking individual time with my children one-on-one -on -one where I'm really getting to hear their heart and know where they're at with the Lord. My kids are 7, 9, 11, and 13. You know what I thought of this morning? My son's got about five more years, and he's gone. He's going to go to college. And, I, 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 and what am I doing to know his heart? What am I doing to know with where he's at with the Lord? Sure, he's at church. Sure, he's, he is reading his Bible at night, but I'm not asking him where he's at. And I'm telling you, when I prepared this this morning and was going to ask this question, the Holy Spirit said, you hypocrite. You're going to get up here and talk about this, and you're not doing it. So I am confessing to you that I am making a resolve. I'm driving a stake in the ground that I'm going to spend intimate, quality time, one-on-one -on -one with my children, getting to know where their heart is and where they're at with the Lord, and where their fears are, and where their questions are, and be there as a father. I have to do that, because if I'm not doing it, the world will. And we have got to be there for them. So I want you to take a few moments around the table, and I want you to talk about where are some areas, either with your spouse or your children. And by the way, you may be sitting at a table and say, I'm not married, and I don't have any children, so I can't answer this question. Yes, you can. Maybe you desire one day to be married. And you say, you know, I've watched my parents or I've watched other, other uh, spouses or whatever. I've watched children, okay, whatever the case would be. When I do get married or God allows me to have that, this is what I want to do. This is where I see a big need. So you've got, you've got to speak into it as well. So it takes a few minutes around your table. Talk about that, and then we'll come back together.
go on and let's look at verse 3 here in Genesis 22. So God has called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And look at what verse 3 says. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. And took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. It's so interesting that God tells him to sacrifice his son. And he wakes up early the next morning and sets out on this journey. Now I'm just going to tell you. God called me to do something like this. I think it would take me a little bit of time to work through it. What does he do? He's obedient to the Lord. So I want to ask, does the Lord have first place with your obedience in the way you obey? Are you obeying God instantly? Our, our, our mission, our vision, we talk about that, obeying God instantly. And it's, it's really a way for us to look and see where we're at with the Lord. When he calls you to give, do you give? You say, well, I, I don't give to homeless people because, you know, they may take the money and buy, buy something they're not supposed to. Well, I like what Brother Steve said. If God tells you to give the money and you don't give them the money because of what they may do with it, you're disobeying God. Don't worry about what they're doing with it. You better worry about obeying God. And, you know, a couple years ago he said that and I thought, wow, he's right. I need to quit worrying about what's going to happen. I just need to do what he tells me to do. When, you, when he tells you to share the gospel with somebody, are you sharing the gospel with them? When he's saying to you, don't say that, do you say it anyways? When he's saying don't go there, do you go there anyways? When he tells you don't make that business decision, do you make that business decision anyways? Are you obeying God when he tells you to do something? I look at Abraham and it says he gets up early in the morning. He rose early in the morning. It says he saddled his donkey. So he wakes up early, he saddles his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. Listen to what they did. They split wood. For the offering. So what, what, is, what is Abraham doing? He's preparing what God has called him to do. He's preparing for it. He's not just going to sit around and wait. God has told him, get out and go. I'm going to show you the exact place. And so Abraham, instead of saying, well, I guess, God, if you're going to tell me where to go, you're just going to provide everything. Abraham says, we better get the people. We better get the donkey. We better get the wood. And we better be prepared for this sacrifice. So I want to ask another question. Does the Lord have first place with your possessions? Notice, he's taking two of his servants. They obviously had jobs for him. There was things that they were supposed to be doing wherever he lived at. He's taking wood, and by the way, he doesn't know exactly where he's going, so they're having to take all the provisions that they're going to need. All the food, all the water, all of these things. He is sold out to do exactly what God had called him to do. He is sold out to do exactly what God had called him to do. Not only with his obe obedience and his possessions, but here's what I want you to, to, to look at when it says, it says here in verse 3. And arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now we know that it's not super close because they had to travel to get there. They loaded up a donkey. He didn't just throw a knapsack on and hike over a couple hours, and there it was. He loaded a donkey up. He took two guys with him. He had to head out and go where God had called him to go. Can you imagine? He's, he's gone to sleep. He's woken up early. Who, heavens knows if he slept at all. I mean, how, how many of you can hardly sleep when you know something really exciting is coming the next day? Or how many of you can hardly sleep when you know something really bad's coming the next day? All right? I remember one time... Now, I'm not going to tell you who it was with or, or where it was or where I was working, but I, I'll just say this. I've worked here a long time, okay? And I had gotten a call and had kind of gotten scolded over the phone and had been told, you need to be in my office at 8.30 in the morning. 
I didn't sleep a wink that night. I told my wife, I said, I'm just going to be honest with you. I did something that I probably shouldn't have done, nothing immoral or anything like that. I just made a really poor decision, and uh, there's a decent chance I don't have a job tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. I didn't sleep at all that night, and I can remember walking into that office at 8.30 thinking, I'm getting fired, and walking in. I mean, I couldn't sleep. It was consuming every waking thought. Now, the other side of that is my family and I went on a cruise just a a couple months ago. We saved forever to go on that thing, and we got it right when kids sell free, so it was perfect. And we went, we had the best time, and it was a wonderful trip. But the night before we went on that cruise, my wife and I didn't sleep because if you don't know this about my wife, she's the most detailed person, most detailed human being on the planet. We've got notes that organize our notes, okay? We have shared notes on our phones. We have shared calendars. I could tell you right now what we're going to eat February 17th of next year. Don't laugh. That's a true statement, okay? I know we've got the whole thing planned out, all right? She is a planner. And I couldn't go to sleep because I'm just looking through thinking, these are all the things I got to do for a while. My kids never went to sleep because they're getting ready to drive and they're getting ready to get on a boat that they've never done. They're getting ready to get on the ocean they've never done. All of these things, they're so excited they can't go to sleep. Can you imagine what's going through Abraham's mind? Now, let me ask you this. Can you imagine the thoughts the devil's throwing at Abraham right now? Can you imagine? Remember Adam and Eve in the garden. What does the devil do? Did God really say that? Oh, you won't die. And they go through this whole thing. The devil is right there. Can you imagine the thoughts that are going through Abraham's mind? So I want to ask you a question. Does the Lord have first place with your thoughts? Now, guys, I'm just going to be really blunt with you. This is a place we have got to get to. Because our thought life is the battlefield. Brother Steve's been talking a lot about this. He's preached a ton about it. But I'm just going to tell you, the devil is throwing fiery darts, and he's getting better and better and better. And he studies us, and he watches us. And see, I I don't think the devil can know what you're thinking, but I can, can guarantee you he has watched your patterns. He knows what you enjoy, and he tempts you with what you enjoy. It's like a really good fisherman. My brother-in-law's a great bass fisherman. Fishes in a lot of tournaments. He wins a lot of them. He catches a ton of big bass. He knows every lure there is that those bass like. He's got every one of them. And if I were to call him right now and say, hey, we're going to such and such lake in Mississippi, he would say, here's where you need to go, and here's the lures you need to use. He knows what they like. He knows exactly what to dangle in front of them so he can catch the big one. And that's what Satan does. He comes after us. I want to ask you the question, does the Lord have first place with your thoughts? Because I can promise you, the devil was trying to win Abraham over right here. He was coming after him saying, you you don't have to do what God's called you to do. This is ludicrous. This doesn't even make sense. I mean, it doesn't make sense if you think about it. But we don't know the big picture. We don't see the big picture. We don't see what God's really doing and what he's orchestrating here. So here it is in Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What is he saying? He's saying think about righteous things. Think about holy things. Think about pure things. Daniel, we had lunch yesterday. We talked about this exact thing. Thinking righteously, 
Not letting the, de- the devil have those places in our mind. I was encouraged after that lunch because I thought this guy gets it. And I'm just telling you, and I'm asking you, does the Lord have first place with your thoughts? Well, look at verse 4 here in Genesis 22. It says, on the third day, now listen to this. This is the third day. Abraham didn't travel a couple miles. All right, we're day three here. Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. What does he do? He raises his eyes and he sees where God has called him to do. I want to ask you a question. Does the Lord have first place with your eyes? Are we looking at what God has told us to look at? Or are we taking our gaze off of that? You remember Peter getting out of the boat? He had his eyes locked on Jesus. And he was walking in faith. And all of a sudden he starts looking about and he starts sinking. And the Lord had to come over and pick him up and set him in the boat. I'm just going to tell you. There's been many times in my life I've needed the Lord to pick me up and set me in that boat. Because I've taken my eyes off what he's called me to put my eyes on. See, Abraham, this would have been a great time to say, well, just keep his eyes on the road and path and get lost and go do something else. But what does he do? He puts his eyes on the prize. He puts his eyes on where God has called him to go. I just want to say this to you tonight. If God calls you to do something, put your eyes on it and go after it with everything you've got. My son and I are working out about four mornings a week, and I've gotten to where he's running a little too fast, so I'm riding my bike now, okay? And I really enjoy it. Because there's a good bit of downhill motion, okay? And I've learned that in the downhill, I can go a lot faster than he can, even on my bike. And it's really fun. And so this morning, I got him going at that too quick of a pace. Has anybody ever done that when you're running? And you start off, and your cadence is just a little bit too quick. And we got about halfway around the block. It's exactly, I mean, to a T, it's a mile around the block. And we're about halfway around. I think it was a point, let's see, it was a... 0.51, I look down at my watch, it was 0.51 miles, and I look over, and he is gassed. I mean, he is struggling. And so I begin to encourage him. I said, son, you can do this. It's the fourth quarter. We're down three. The other team's getting tired. You've got to carry the team. You've got to work. And here's where we win the national tournament right here, because we'll go to nationals in March. He's got a few months to get ready. I said, here's where you win it right here. I said, nobody else is up at 6 a.m. running. You're up. You're ready. You're doing this. You're preparing. And so we get there. Well, we turn the corner to the street that we live on, and he's done. He said, I can't. My side's hurting. And I said, you can. You can. And then I realized there's a car that's parked right at the mile mark. And I said, put your eyes on that car. That's where we're going. That's the finish line. And he starts running faster. And all of a sudden, he said, my side hurts. He starts looking down. He starts slowing down. I said, keep your eyes on the car. Keep your eyes on the car. And he put his eyes on the car, and he ran faster and faster and faster and ran faster today than he did yesterday. Not because of anything that I did, but because he realized I can do this, and he kept his eyes on where he was headed. It would have been very easy for Abraham to get discouraged. It would have been very easy for Abraham to say, I, just, I can't do this. He maybe had his eyes on his son thinking, I can't do this. I can't sacrifice my son. Could have had his eyes on his two servants saying, you really should be working back at the house. I got to get y'all back. Could have had eyes on himself. How many of you ever throw a pity party on yourself and you're looking at yourself and me, me, me and I, I, I and all this stuff. But what does Abraham do? It says he lifts up his eyes. He raises his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Sometimes God calls us to do something and it's hard. 
We've got to lift up our eyes and place it to where he calls us. Well, look at verse 5. It says, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Now, this is where it begins to get interesting to me. Because Abraham makes the statement, we will worship and return to you. I'm, I'm almost saying, okay, God, did Abraham know something different I didn't know? Or, 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 or was Abraham just trying to keep his son encouraged and not spill the beans that he was the one that's getting ready to get sacrificed? Because he says right here, we will worship and return to you. Look at the next verse, verse 6. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. I want to ask you this question. Does the Lord have first place with your attitude? Does he have first place with your attitude? This would have been really an easy moment for Abraham to say, I don't know what God's up to, son. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. And have this really poor attitude. What does he do? He keeps his eyes on where God's calling him. He keeps his attitude in check. You know, it was interesting. There was a study done, I think it was back in 2013 or 14. And it was a study done by Harvard on Division I athletes. Now, this is the cream of the crop. I mean, these are the, these are the best of the best. And they asked them, what was the number one regret in all of their sporting career? Number one regret, Division I athletes, this was the common one across the board. No matter baseball, basketball, football, softball, swimming, golf, it didn't matter. The number one response throughout all of it was the ride home with mom and dad. Number one regret. And they went on to dig a little bit deeper and ask questions, and these are the things they got from a pitcher that is a starting pitcher in the MLB right now. Right now, because I read a quote from him. He said, I can remember getting in the car after a state playoff game. I had 19 strikeouts and two walks. We got in the car, and my father said to me, why did you walk those two guys? What are we doing? What a horrible attitude. And all of these athletes said it was terrible. We, this, the, the, this, this girl that plays in the WNBA, she said, I can remember getting in a car after a loss and my parents not blaming it on anybody else but the referees. She said, I have a bad attitude towards referees because of my parents. Isaac was able to take this wood and to walk up this mountain to go worship the Lord because Abraham's attitude was in check. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 15 says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Listen to the language, aroma and fragrance. Aroma and fragrance. It smells good. It smells good. We were at the mall this past week, and my daughter said, can we go to that store? I, what, what's it? Uh, uh, Bath and Body Works. 
okay? They should outlaw stores like that. I get a headache walking up to the, it's, it, the smell is so strong. It's like that soap place. Colin, you're laughing. You love that soap place. What's that place called? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, he doesn't know. Uh, Buff City, is it Buff City? Is that what it is? If you walk in that, the smell is so strong. My daughter, that's like her favorite place. She says, Dad, it smells so good. It smells so good. Can I just say this? When you and I walk away from people, they should smell Jesus. They should think more highly of Jesus than anything else. I'll ask you a question. When's the last time you got done talking to somebody and when you walked away, they weren't talking about you or even the conversation you were talking about. They were talking about Jesus. I knew a lady in Alabama. I've used her as an illustration before, but I learned the kindness of Jesus through Shirley Trammell. The nicest, sweetest woman I've ever seen in my life. And I can remember as a 15-year-old boy saying, that must be how Jesus treats people. I told my mom that. I said, when I'm around Miss Shirley, I'm amazed at her love for people, and I'm convinced that's exactly how Jesus loved people. And my mom read these verses to me. And she said, she is the aroma of Christ. I wonder, are our attitudes pointing people to Jesus, or are they pointing people away? Well, look at verse 8. It says, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Not only his attitude, but his speech. Listen to what he says out of his mouth. He could have taken an opportunity here to really turn his son away from the Lord, and instead he turns his son to the Lord with his speech. So not only his posture, not only the way in which he was delivering the message, because we know that that's part of the attitude, but also the speech. How many of you know we can say the right thing and say it the wrong way, and it's not good? I remember I said something to my wife one time, and I thought I was going to be slapped into the next room. And I thought, that, that's the truth. That's the truth. And she said, yeah, but listen to how you said it. And I thought back to myself, I said, well, you know, I, I was kind of a jerk, to be honest with you. The way we say something, what, what is his speech? I want to ask you, does the Lord have first place with your speech? I used to work at a, uh, I was working part-time in the gym. When my wife and I first got married, and <clears throat> when she got pregnant with our first son, she said, I'm going to quit working. And I, I was in school and working part-time, and I thought, well, uh, that's the writing on the wall. It's time to get a big boy job. And so I went to Drew Tucker, and I said, I'm going to have to go get a, a job. And he said, man, I don't have anything for you right now. You're welcome to stay part-time. I said, okay. So I went to work for a lawn care company. And it was, it was great. I learned all about grass and weeds. And if you need to know anything about that, I know a guy, okay? And so um, I learned a little bit, but just enough to be dangerous. And so, so I'm out there, and I'm telling you, the guys out there, it was, it, was, it was the most profane place I've ever been to. Now, when I say that, I, I, I can remember the first rain day we had. It rained so hard that we couldn't go out and work on yards. But the company would only pay you if you stayed on property, and there was one little shop that the guys were in, and I can remember them rolling out a TV, and I thought, this is great. You know, we're going to watch The Patriot or something like that. And I can remember the guy pulling out his phone and saying, this is the pornography we're going to watch today. Now, he called it something else. But there were guys that literally sit in, sat in that room, and I had to go outside by the car and sit in my car just to stay on property 
for like three hours while these guys sat in there and watched pornography. And I can remember when the shift was over, there was a knock on the window, and this guy said, I'm not going to say everything he said, but he basically said, you missed it. It was incredible. He said, I can't believe you would waste the time out here in the car. I said, man, I can't be around that kind of stuff. I don't need that. That's not godly. And he laughed, and he said, what does it matter? And so we had this conversation, and it went nowhere. Nowhere. About three weeks later, there was another rain day, and it was the same thing. And we went through this over the next few months. And I can remember when I went to turn in my resignation because I was going to come on full-time here at Bellevue, I thought, Lord, I've been here a year, and I've made zero impact. There's been no impact. Nobody has gotten saved. Nobody loves you more. They're still watching pornography on rain days. I don't understand. And so I turned in my resignation, and Friday was going to be my last day, and I went in to drop off my, my truck for the last day. And the lady said, they need you in the shop. And I went in the shop, and there was this big cake, and there was a card on there that they had all written in. Well, to me, it wasn't a big deal, because you got somebody leaving. That seems like kind of a normal thing to do to buy cake. And I began reading the card. Everybody got cake and said goodbye. And as I'm walking to my car, I read the card, and I started reading things like, I never heard you say a curse word. Now, guys, I'm not saying this to brag. I never heard you do this. And then this one guy said this. He said this. I have stopped cursing. I have changed my speech because you didn't talk like everybody else here. And by the way, I've been here 12 years and we've never thrown a party for anybody when they left. And what I learned was that sometimes just by closing your mouth, you can have more of an impact than anything else. Because what I wanted to do was walk in there and turn over the tables like Jesus did in the temple. But I was reminded that these guys aren't religious guys. These guys are sinners. And do you know what sinners do? They sin. And why should I be surprised? And I learned a valuable lesson that sometimes it's not what I say, it's what I don't say. And so I want to ask you the question, because I learned a valuable lesson. Does the Lord have first place with your speech? Look at verse 9 right here and 10. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Can you imagine the faith that that took? I want to ask you, does the Lord have first place with your faith? Does he have first place with your faith? It's all your faith, all your trust, everything in Christ where so much of it on yourself that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 was probably written for you personally. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. I want to ask you the question, does he have first place in your faith? Now look at these last few verses. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Now, I have this picture in my mind that Abraham had tied Isaac to the altar. He had raised his hand with the knife, and right as Abraham took that big gasp to come down with the knife, he was in the downward motion. He was coming like this. The angel of the Lord knew that he was all in. 
He was all in. And the angel of the Lord calls out to him and says, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of a son. Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Dr. Adrian Rogers, our pastor here before, Brother Steve, one time preached a sermon on this, and if you, if you ever heard it, he gave a beautiful visual. He said, if you could have stood way back from that mountain, watching Abraham and Isaac going up the mountain, but also God bringing that ram up the other side, your faith would have been like, I see it. I see God at work. But he doesn't always allow us to see what he's doing behind the scenes. You see, God had a plan. What he wanted to know is, are you all in? Are you going to stay on the sidelines, or are you going to get in the game? The last thing I want to ask you is, Does the Lord have first place with your worship? What does Abraham do? Abraham doesn't grab Isaac and start jumping up and down and screaming and yelling and saying, my son, my son is still here. What does he do? His immediate response is worship. His immediate response is worship. See, we can worship the Lord in a lot of ways. We have tricked ourselves in our culture today to think worship is just singing songs. Now, singing to the Lord is a part of worship. So is tithing. Some people disagree with that. Tithing is a way of worship. So is working. Because the Bible says, whatever you put your hand to do, do all to the glory of God. The Jews consider work worship, if you study their culture. But so is serving. I don't think anybody looks more like Jesus than when they're serving somebody. You see, I think that the men of Bellevue, this should be the highest quality we hold. That we go home and we serve our wives with everything we have. And we serve our children with everything we have. And then we go to work and we serve the people that God has placed around us with everything we have. And then we go to church and we serve God with everything he had. You say, is that all we're going to do is serve? Yes. You want to know why? Because God has allowed us to be a part of what he's doing. And that's how we get to worship him is by serving. And so I want to ask you the question, does the Lord have first place in your worship? See, men, I think too many of us are on the sidelines. And it's time to get off the sidelines and get in the game. Maybe that's with your wife. Maybe you need to go home tonight and take your wife by the hand and say, I've not been leading us spiritually like I should have. And I want to pray with you tonight, and I I want to get in a rhythm of praying and reading God's word together. Maybe it's with your children. The most humbling thing you can do is apologize to your wife. About the second most humbling thing you can do is line your children up and apologize to them for something you've done wrong. And by the way, I've got both hands up in the air for doing that one multiple times. And I'm going to have to do that this week. Maybe it's at your job, and maybe you're not going to go in and apologize to your boss, but maybe you're going to resolve today that you're going to go in and you're going to serve with everything you've got. So I want you just to talk around the table for just a couple moments of this question. How can you get off the sidelines and influence or serve other people? I want you to think about an action step for you personally. How can you do this? Maybe that's here at the church 
Maybe it's at your job. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's in your household. But how can you get off the sidelines and influence and or serve other people? Take a few minutes, and then we'll close out our time together.